This is your gateway to the latest trends in the Gulf, bringing you exclusive insights and thought-provoking discussions. Welcome to AB Majlis, an Arabian business podcast. You can find our weekly episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for more exclusive content, subscribe to us on arabianbusiness.com. Welcome to AB Majlis. I'm Lisa Amnegard, editor for Arabian Business Traveler. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce a special guest who's flown in all the way from the UK. With almost two decades experience contributing to the F&B industry in the Middle East, and who also has a culinary empire of 17 restaurants around the world. We are fortunate to have him join us today on our podcast, and he will be delving into the secrets behind building a successful restaurant dining concept, and he will also be sharing insights on what is happening on the culinary scene in Saudi Arabia and in the wider Gulf region. Jason Atherton, thank you for joining us on AB Majlis. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. I'm always good. Positive vibes in my camp. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And you've just arrived to the UAE a few days ago. Yep, just a few days ago. Um, you know, I um, landed here, passed my bag to the hotel, had to go to Saudi. We're doing uh, a big dinner there on the 27th of this month for the World uh, Trade uh, Forum um, for Princess Dina. And then um, just there for one night, quickly do the dinner and then come back to Dubai. So, you know, only in the Middle East does things like that happen. So it's kind of cool. That's really exciting. And you are one of the biggest culinary names in the industry right now. Did you ever imagine becoming that big? Do you ever regret becoming this big celebrity chef? I don't know, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the word celebrity purely because I don't, I, you know, I, I try to distance myself from the, from the word a little bit because it's, you know, it's, what is celebrity? Celebrity is um, a thing where people, a lot, certainly back in the UK anyway, I'll, I'll rephrase that, a lot of people are famous for being famous, right? I think we're, you know, I think we've been enabled to, to build the platform what we have through talent and hard work. And, you know, that's the thing what keeps us there. We, we, you know, we work every single day. We, we continue to push and evolve and, uh, and strategize and change our business, which keeps us, you know, famous, if you want to use that word. Um, but really, in our business, you're only as good as your last meal. It is a cliche, but it's true, right? And if you don't continue to keep that going, then you'll, you know, you, you'll be very unfamous very quickly. Mm-hmm. But you've done very well. I mean, you've opened, this is your fourth restaurant opening in Dubai under yep. the Grosvenor House. Mm-hmm. And you're also one of the first chefs or one of the first chefs to open restaurants in Saudi Arabia. So can you tell us a little bit more about how is the culinary scene in the kingdom right now? You know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is changing super quick. You know, it, it's like a it's like a freeway. My gosh, those cars are bombing down that freeway. Things are changing. You know, um, it sounds crazy, but, you know, women are allowed to drive, you know. They don't have to wear habayas anymore, and if they choose not to, and um, but with massive respect still for, for for their heritage and culture, and with that comes entertainment like restaurants and so forth, and um, along with that comes people like me, uh, who who open those type of restaurants. So yeah, so we're enjoying we're enjoying the ride, you know, uh, pretty much like I was here in Dubai when I came here twenty odd years ago uh, to open there by Gordon Ramsay. Um, not as an owner then, but as a head chef. And, you know, Dubai was going at a pace then. And, and it seems like Saudi Arabia is taking that, that same path, albeit 20 years later. So, you know, it, it, I'm lucky because I've seen it in Dubai 20 years ago. And now I'm seeing it in Saudi. You know, 
first thing I said, number one, the number one challenge will be produce in Dubai. Honestly, you know, in my new restaurant row on 45, uh, which means refinement of work at the Grosvenor, it's, it's the produce I'm using is some of the best in the world, right? 20 years ago, that was not the case. You know, you were getting stored vegetables that had been in a, in a cellar for like two weeks and tasted of nothing. And you were having to do all this crazy stuff to, to try and make it taste good. Where now, you know, I'm getting like tomatoes. I could literally just pour a bit of olive oil and sea salt on it and give it to you. And you're like, oh my God, it tastes so good, right? Um, and that's, that's the first battle, right? Then it's the training of the staff, the, the discipline, the, you know, the, the, the hard work, all of that stuff, bringing in international designers to start to create, which then spawns homegrown talent, right? So it's a process and they know that and they're, and they're on that journey and, and they're making massive strides. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be part of it. So do you think that Saudi will become a threat to the culinary scene in Dubai? No, I think it will enhance what, what's already here, right? I mean... You know, we've gone through a similar thing in the United Kingdom where uh, Southern Ireland, the, you know, Michelin stars, restaurants are popping up there like daffodils. They're, they're everywhere, right? And I'm absolutely thrilled for Ireland because I think it's a beautiful, the beautiful people, beautiful country, great, uh, great uh, produce, amazing. You know, I love a good pub. So it's amazing pubs, great, uh, you know, I'm a big Guinness fan. So it's like, I just think it's wonderful, right? So that's really complementing what's going on in England, Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland and Wales. And I think it's exactly the same here in the GCC. If, if Oman has a great culinary scene, Dubai, you know, Dubai's led the way on this. Let's be, let's be frank about this, right? Dubai has led the way. It's been a culinary leader in its field. And it's now, I would honestly say that, you know, in the next five years, Dubai will be in the top four culinary scenes on the planet. Wow. Right? And then with that sweeps the other countries like Saudi Arabia, Doha, you know, Kuwait, Oman will, will then see that. Uh, well, they're already seeing that. And then, you know, they, everyone lifts their game, right? That's just how it is, right? Yeah, I agree. I was actually recently in Doha and the change there is amazing. I recently read the, since the World Cup, they've seen, I think it's a 150% increase in visitors. And these people are going to want to eat. So it will be very interesting to see how some of these global restaurant groups will, what they'll do to try to meet this demand. But... Speaking about your restaurant openings, you're actually here in Dubai to open your newest dining concept, Rowan 45, which will make your fourth restaurant in the city. So I'm curious to know what has been the biggest lesson you've learned about scaling a culinary business this big? I think, I think the question what we've asked ourselves in the last sort of three years post-COVID is why are we building it, right? That's the most important thing. And you know, it, at the end of the day, it is a business. You know what? You know what we do at Row on Forty Five, and you know we have a Row on Five on Savile Row in London, which is being built at the moment. There are fine dining restaurants, right? Of course, they make profit. Of course, they they, but they're also you know um, they're in the luxury market, right? So it's a long term investment in those. You know, if you're going to build a shop like you know for the first time ever, like Louis Vuitton, right? You can't expect people just to walk in off the street and spend 4,000 US dollars on a handbag, right? It's going to take a lot of marketing, a lot of time to get people used to that level of luxury. And then they go, right, okay, you know, I need to go and get my Louis Vuitton bag, right? And with my other restaurants, what are a little bit more casual, you know, they're everyday restaurants where you can pop in, have a cup of tea, coffee, you know, uh, a great cocktail, a simple plate of food, but still cooked with the same precision and flair, but with much less cheaper ingredients. So it's more... Um, acceptable to the to the wallet, if you like. So, it's 
what we did was, okay, look, you know, we had at one point, many years ago, pre-COVID, I had 21 restaurants and, you know, some we lost during COVID. Um, and what we decided was post-COVID as a team was instead of having 21 restaurants with nine different cuisines, we chose five of our strongest cuisines, what, were, what we were really good at. And we knew that we had good market share. We had great footfall, highly profitable um, we were super passionate about we could go around the world beating the drum of those those concepts knowing full well that we could expand those and you know the dream is you know, we, we, you know dream big or go home right and for me we want to take those five concepts even more global and you know the plan you know hopefully one day we get to like 40 50 restaurants and then we will probably sell part of the company and that's our <laughs> retirement we may go and buy a uh, a vineyard somewhere in the UK. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that's you know that because we had to get to a point where we're focused, right? Before it was like, okay, we've been offered a new restaurant. Let's try and open a new restaurant. Mm. Let's do this. This is with no real strategy. Now there's a real strategy in place of where we need to be in two years, four years, six years, ten years. And you know, my daughters are coming to work for the company. They'll be embedded into that, and they'll help us grow and so forth and so forth. And that's yeah. That's, so what would you say would be the core ingredients, if you may say, to mm -hmm. building a successful concept? The four ingredients, I mean, well, you know, I, mean, I think there's many more than four ingredients, but if you want to build a great concept, right, first of all, you've got to have an idea, right? And you, you've got to make sure that the, the, the market, what you're going to perform in, even wants, even wants that idea, right? You know, it, it, it's, you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, you, 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 get absolutely the creative process of like what that concept is if it's a state concept you know you don't open it in a in a in a vegan town like Berkeley in California right do you mean so it'd be, it'd be suicide so you've got to make sure that what everything what you do completely makes sense right there's still no guarantees in this game then you have um what I call the 425s the 425s are you know making sure that you know 25 percent are overheads um, and that includes your rent and rates, which can't be more than 10% of turnover. And then you have your 25% staff costs and so making sure like, you know, of course you want to have the best sommelier, you want to have the best chef, you want to have, you know, the best waiters, but can you actually afford it? You know, will your concept be able to afford that? And then you've got 25%, which goes on to your food and beverage, right? Then you should have 25% profit. Of that 25% profit, when I open a brand new restaurant, I try to give five to 8% of that back to either get better staff, um, you know, I might want a more heavy site, so it rents a bit more, it might be in a better location, yeah. which costs me a bit more money. So if you don't have all of that right, then you know, no matter how good the first pillar is, right, the second pillar, it just can't perform, mm. right? So then you go, so you've got pillar one, the great, you know, you've got your concept, it's creative, it's great, it's right for the market, and then you do your financials, right, which are the 425s. That stacks up. Now you get to uh, to, to uh, number three, which is execution. Execution is, you know, like the other two, just as crucial. That's where the hard work starts. You know, the creative side's fun. If you've got a business brain, the 425s are easy. Number three is, in my industry, hard work pays off. You know, I know everyone talks about this on social media and stuff, and I do laugh at what some people think about hard work. But as you know, in my industry, because your dad's a chef, 
this is hard work, like seriously hard work. If you need to be ahead of the pack, it's a 6 a.m. until midnight. And if you're not prepared to do that with your concept, it's not going to succeed because there's too much failure. That The ratio of failure to success in our industry is so high that you've got to prepare to outwork people, outthink people, outcreate people, and just be dogged, determined to make your concept stand out. So now you've done that bit, you've nailed it, right? So now you're on four. Maintenance, right? It's very easy, and I've been guilty of this in the past myself too. You get a massively successful concept. You know, you walk in, you know, I was my first sort of five or six concepts, I remember it very clearly, we were like riding the crest of a wave. Everything we touched turned to gold. I'd leave Pollen Street, it'd be packed. I'd walk over to a little social, it'd be packed. I'd go to social eat now, so I couldn't even get in the door. I'd have to, in Soho, because it's like, you know, a late night drinking, I'd have a bouncer on the door. And he'd be like, I'm sorry, sir, it's fully booked. I'm like, but I own the restaurant. And he's like, but you can't come in. It's, we're reaching capacity. But I need to go in. I need to check it, right? So that would be fully booked. I'd go around the corner to Berners Tavern. It'd be packed out. I'm like, my God, we're killing it, right? And then the maintenance of that is, is a lot of work, but it's a different type of work. Just getting up at six and going to bed at midnight is not that simple. You know, you've got to make sure that you almost now become like, uh, uh, it's like a military operation. You're trying to pick your battles. You're trying to make sure that all of the people you put in place in each of those restaurants strategically are doing exactly what they want to do, you know? And you've got to constantly ask questions. But on top of that, I'm a chef and I love to cook, right? So, you know, I've got to make sure that I don't bury all my head into the stove and forget about all the other stuff. And if you can nail the, all four of those, which sounds a lot of work mm. and it's quite daunting, then, you know, you've got a chance of success. But that's what it takes. But And you've done really well at that. Um, and I know that even before you started your own restaurants, you worked for Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. So can 12 you, years. 12 years. Can you tell My us? My job was to do all of that. <laughs> can you tell us how it was working for him? It, was he that angry as people see him on Hell's Kitchen? No. You know, there's a massive misconception about Gordon, right? Gordon is, you know, we're very proud of him in the UK. He is one of the best chefs we've ever produced. Um, right? Let's get that first and foremost. And I say that because there's many layers to Gordon, right? Gordon is the literally in the top three chefs our country's ever produced. On top of that, then he becomes you know, a global chef, right? He, he moves to LA, to Los Angeles after having a successful TV career in the UK, smash hit books on par with Jamie Oliver. And he was, you know, a national treasure for us as far as the, the home cook was concerned. His books sold off the charts. And then Gordon goes to America, cracks America, you know, massive American TV shows. And then, you know, creates an empire what's worth, you know, I have no idea how much, but, you know, a massively successful empire. So, yeah, we, I was very lucky to work with him in the younger years when I could see that rise to fame. So I really could see and, could see and understand what it actually takes. Gordon's an absolute workaholic, but he's a very smart workaholic. You know, Gordon knows exactly what I said about putting people in the right places to do the right job. Gordon was the master of that, you know, and he was... Yeah, he was, and but people see this like sweary, angry man on TV. It, listen, you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. I'll tell you that much, right? But at the same time, he is warm, he's caring, he looks after his team. Um, you know, you don't grow an empire like that and not be a leader. And he's and he's a, he's, a, he's a fantastic leader. So I, I took a lot from working for him. Yeah.
And has he been to Grosvenor House and tried your food there? Not yet. We'll get him there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just lastly, what do you think, from your perspective, um, is missing on the culinary scene, or what would you like to see on the culinary scene in the future? You know what? I, I think Dubai has moved on so quick and so amazing in the last 10 years. You know, we have enough party restaurants in Dubai, right? And, you know, I listen to a lot of restaurateurs. It's like, I'm going to open a new restaurant. It's going to have a DJ. It's going to have entertainment. And it's, it's all of that first before the food, right? And before the wine service, and before the cocktails. We're now coming out of that, right? And do you know what I love? I mean, I went to this place called Honeycomb Hi-Fi. Um, amazing cocktail bar. Absolutely loved it. The drinks were outstanding, like outstanding. I've been back three times since on par with all the best bars in uh, in London, New York, Tokyo. And I just think that it's so exciting to have that level of sophistication here because what it what it will do, you know, like Rowan 45, I know it's my restaurant, but the level and attention to detail that goes into that restaurant and the amount of young people from, you know, from all over the world working there. You know, we've got people from Nepal, India, Pakistan, Philippines, uh, Britain, you name it, right? Italy, that... Hopefully, they'll make Dubai their home. They'll take that knowledge, what we're giving them. They'll create their own concepts or whatever that is. But they've got the foundations and the training to do it, right? We're now moving away from, okay, let's build a hotel. And we have to have an Arabic restaurant, an Italian restaurant, an all-day dining restaurant. You know, and it was like a format when I lived here 20 years ago that every luxury hotel had to have those. Now the hotels are going, actually... Where are we located in Dubai? What is our clientele? What chefs bring that quality cuisine to that? You know, like Pam Willoughby is one of the best F&B operators, never mind hotel operators in the region. And she's very good at looking at the future of what that hotel needs and bringing in people like me to bring in, you know, a new level of crowd to that, to that hotel to keep on reinventing itself as, you know, one of the greatest destinations in the city for F&B. And that's, that's a vision. You know, because it's very easy to sit on your laurels when you're making money and just go, you know what, we're making money. Does it really matter if we're not the best? Well, actually, you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm one of those things. No, you know, we have to strive to be the best, right? Otherwise, why do we wake up in the morning? You know, if it's only about money, yeah. then, you know, I don't know, go and sell cars or go and be a property developer or something, right? So you, so you would say that in Dubai, they're sort of in their second phase of kind of redefining and basing it more on the food and, and the concepts, and Saudi is still in that initial phase where that Dubai Absolutely. was I mean, 20 years ago. You know, you have all the guidebooks here now, right? Gormio, you know, Gormio's here, and, you know, as a chef, is it important to me that we, we, we do well in the Gormio? Absolutely, of course it is. And it's not about ego, it's about being benchmarked, right? You know, one of my greatest friends in France who, who, who you know, lives and dies by Gourmet in France, where it was invented, is, you know, uh, he's a five-hat chef. He's a three Michelin-style chef, five-hat chef in the Gourmet, 19 and a half out of 20. And he has a beautiful uh, hotel restaurant called uh, Flocon de Salle Mujev. And he is, you know, he's, he, he's a legend and his food is delicious, and, you know, this is the first time I've had a restaurant in a region where Gourmet is, it is. So for me, it's fascinating to see how I can benchmark my fine dining restaurant 
in in the guidebook, right? It's just interesting. But you know, I I think it. You know, it's actually this uh, an amazing true story. The f- when I was, I'm from a really small town in 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 England called uh, Worksop. Uh, well, actually, that's a big town. My parents lived when I was three, and we moved to a small town called Skegness with my with my mum. And I was about 15 years of age, got a job in a local hotel, and the hotel general manager said to us, food was terrible, and this hotel was terrible. And he said to me, right, I want you all to go leave the kitchen, and by tomorrow night, I want you to cook me a dish of your own, including all of you, and I was only a commie chef. And I was like, I don't know how to create a dish. So I went to the local shop, the w- what we call WH Smith's, and I bought a book called Dining in France by Gourmet. I had no idea who Gormio was. I didn't even know it was a, a guidebook. I just bought this book and opened it up and I copied a, a fillet steak recipe in there. What's like, it was a little bit a hybrid of a, a, a steak Diane. And true, true swear down, this is what happened. Mr. Drummond, who was the general manager of the hotel, ate my steak Diane and said to me, Jason, one day you're going to be. I believe that you're going to be one of those great chefs who live and work in London. I thought he was mental. I thought he'd lost a plot. I thought he'd been like drinking or something. And, you know, and I'll never forget it. You know, and I had this book on my own. I, I thought, you know what? If I'm going to do this for the next 50 years, that's how I want to cook. It was, you know, he was Michel Bras, Pierre Gagné, all the chefs were starting their careers back then in this beautiful book by Gourmet. And that book made me go to London. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. And thank you to all of our subscribers. Sign up to arabianbusiness.com for all exclusive content.